we will begin today in the book of Revelation. All right, yeah. All right, so this is a new book for us. And this is potentially one of the most confusing books in the New Testament. This is also historically one of the most misinterpreted books of the Bible uh, in our age. So, uh, this book can be a source of confusion. It can be a source of fear-mongering and conjecture. It can be a source of obsession and distraction. People who just zero in on it and, and are desperate to get more out of it than maybe they should. It can be a subject of disagreement and arrogance and foolish controversy. All right. Our hope is to avoid all these things, <laughs> obviously. Um, my hope is that we might make this book uh, simple and what it is promised to be a blessing to the servants of Christ. A blessing. That you might be blessed in hearing it, you might be blessed in knowing it, and blessed in doing it. And Revelation itself is going to promise that. And so, uh, I'll begin with this. Uh, one, of our, one of our, the theologians of our faith uh, does a story of a group of, I think this is real actually, it probably was, uh, of seminaries. Uh, they're playing basketball, and the janitor is there waiting to like clean up after them. And they see him reading in the corner. And they ask, what are you reading? And he says, the Bible. And they say, seminaries, what, what, what book are you reading? And he says, uh, Revelation. All right, so this gets them all foaming at the mouth. They, all right, <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you think it means? Do you need our help? He says, no, I, I know what it means. And they're like, well, well what does it mean? He says that Jesus is going to win. <laughs> and it's a simple message. And, and uh, we, we want to break out all the charts and all of the, all the <laughs> diagrams and, uh, and make it very complicated uh, and miss the message that it's about the fact that Jesus wins. That Jesus, he comes again and he is victorious. And that there are all of these enemies and then there's the ultimate Lord who is triumphant over them all. And so with that, uh, yes, this is a difficult book. But it is also a great blessing. And I want us to receive it and be encouraged by the fact that Jesus, is, he's on the throne. He is ready to come back. And he is encouraging us to take heart through this book. So, uh, this is the introduction to the book of Revelation. And so, uh, we're going to talk first about just some interpretive principles. About, like, kind of the, the symbolism and how Revelation works. Uh, but then we're going to get to the actual introduction uh, that John gives us. Talk about peace and grace to the churches. And finally, uh, that second coming of Christ. All right, so big, big message here. Revelation, it's a book of symbolism that seeks to bless the church in all ages with this ultimate assurance that Jesus Christ is coming back. All right, so with that, let's read Revelation 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, 
for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this book. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for the fullness of the Spirit. We thank you that you reign as Almighty, who is and was and is to come. Father, would you help us? Would you walk closely with us? Would you, by your Spirit, uh, guide us in these things, that we may receive your word as the blessing that it is, we pray in Christ's name. All right, so we begin with the basics of how to interpret this book uh, in its own words. So it's going to tell us how we are supposed to receive this book, uh, starting at verses 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servants, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. All right, so what is this? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, a revelation, this is something that has been disclosed, it's been unveiled, a, a mystery that has been granted and gifted to us, his people. And notice, uh, just for the record, it's not revelations, it's one, one, revelation. It's a single message, just this single encouragement. It's one. And where does it come from? So it came ultimately from the Father. And it describes it as this gift. The gifts to the servants of Christ that they might know what is soon to take place. And so when we read this book, all right, we are in the world of things soon to take place. Relevant. To his people, as, as it is written. And how did it come to us? It came to us by an angel. So we have this chain of commands of the Father to Jesus, to an angel who made it known to John, the Apostle John that we're familiar with, and then John bears witness to the things that he saw. All right. I don't usually do this, but I, all right. This is an important word. All right, there's important words, and there are preachers who make much of unimportant words. So uh, this, is actually, this is actually a good one, and I'll, I'll try to justify it. All right, so made it known, made it known. Jesus made it known to John by an angel. This is actually a pretty rare word, and it's not used that often. There's a lot of ways that you can say just to tell someone or show someone or just make known to them, but... Uh, 
this one has a nuance to it. And it says to make known by, by signs, to signify or symbolize. Now, most of the time, I wouldn't make a big deal of that, but uh, as we're going to see, the book of Revelation is, is heavily dependent upon the Old Testament. And it's building upon it, has the same themes. And this verse, verse 1, is actually parallel to verses in Daniel 2 that sound very similar. And they talk about how God is going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar by showing him the things that will take place and uses a special word, by making known to him things and dreams. Now, if we know how God made those things known, we know it wasn't by giving him exact pictures of the future. No, he had dreams, and they were symbolic dreams. He was re they were revealed in signs, in symbols, in pictures that had this second meaning. It goes on to talk about how uh, there is this statue with different layers made of different materials. And then this rock from heaven comes. It comes down, shatters the whole thing, and then that rock grows into a giant mountain and encompasses the whole earth. All right. At no point is there going to be a giant statue, and no comet is going to come from heaven and destroy it. And Daniel interprets the dream, and he says that that's, it's, it's not literal, this is symbolic. It's symbolic of different kingdoms that will precede the coming of the kingdom of God from heaven, which will come and will grow and will encompass the whole world. It was made known by signs. All right, so why do you care? We care because Revelation is telling us that it is trying to teach us things through signs, through symbolism, through pictures that represent larger realities. And, all right, that, that's dangerous for us. Because then we have this thing and we say, ooh, what's the hidden secret meaning? And you just come to anything. And if you, we've looked at Revelation and people talking about it, uh, some people come to crazy things. All right, now, uh, what's going to guide us here then? Uh, this is not the first book in the Bible. This is the last book in the Bible. And so, we should expect the same characters, the same themes. We should see repetition, and we should build off of things that came earlier. All right. Uh, so, uh, picture of this. All right. So, you've gotten into a Netflix series, and you come to know, oh, there's a, there's a new season come out. And you think, I really liked that show. And you jump into it, and what happens? You don't know who anyone is anymore. <laughs> Right? It's been like a, a year, and you don't remember any of the characters. You don't remember who the villain is. Uh, you've forgotten what the main plot is. It's been disclosed, disclosed that like one of these people was their secret dad or something. And, or, or was he the villain, or was he both? And you have to watch back, and what do you do? You, you, you have to do the recaps and like, okay, work through this. All right, Revelation is like that. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament... 
which is season one, all right, then season two isn't going to make much sense. So we have to go back, and it's going to guide us and help us. We don't just go like, oh, I've, I, I, that guy looks like my uncle, so maybe that's the main character's uncle. That would be silly. We need to go back to the source. We need to go back to season one. And uh, we'll do that again and again and again. All right. Our hope is not to just base this in wild conjecture and whatever we think uh, fits and sounds good to us. No, we want scripture to guide us along this path. All right. Now, uh, why symbols? Why did God do this to us? <laughs> all right. We just want to know the future. Just tell us. Tell us what it's going to be. Uh, all right. Jesus did something similar, right? Parables. These are little stories with hidden meanings about the kingdom of God. And he says, why why does he do this? So that some people might not understand and other people will. It's to test us and like actually may force our hearts on a deeper level to think about these things and apply them and Find out how it means something to us. Too many people, they heard about the parable of the sower, and they think like, eh, he's really into farming now, I guess. And they left, and they, they didn't get the message. They didn't get that it was about the heart receiving the gospel and, and being fruitful or not. And too often people are the same way with Revelation. All right, So you have this, Random appearance of a, a fancy harlot riding a red beast. And we thought, well, that's weird. <laughs> and then we say, oh, that book of Revelation is just really weird. And we throw it aside. All right, one of those weird things. All right. That's disclosing our hearts. That we're not sensitive to this stuff. And we, we need to dive deeper. And we, we need to understand the symbolism. And as we're going to come, we're going to see that this is, these are the powers of the world that try to lure us through, through materialism and lust and, and destruction and persecution and seek to draw us away from the kingdom. All right. But I have to ask, okay, kids, kids, do you usually like pictures in your books? All right, some of you, the older ones are saying no, but the, like, it's helpful. It's helpful to have a picture. And that's where a lot of these things, they are, they are pictures that draw us in. Because if I were to just tell you, hey, out there in the world, they're going to try to get you with money and sex, and you better not indulge in those sins because you'll die. Yeah, I could say that. But then Revelation gives us this picture. And you see this image of the woman enticing and the kingdoms as this hideous monster that seeks to devour and destroy. And it's more powerful. And we go out into the world and we don't see, oh, those are sins I shouldn't commit. No, we see. We see the harlot everywhere. We see the, the beast seeking to devour And it hits us in a different way. The symbolism actually captures us and and works in us. And if he is our creator, he knows how to help us to understand these things and, and shape us and bless us even as he reveals these truths to us.
So is it going to be hard? Yes. It's going to require a little more focus. And why should we do it? Why should we go all through all of this effort to drudge through all the weirdness? Uh, well, first, we've already said some things. Uh, this is a gift from God to his people. That he was thinking, how, how might I bless the servants of Christ as they are away from me? And he thinks, this, this book. And it is something that, that reveals the future to us. I've heard you. You, you want to know about the future. You want to know what's, what's standing ahead of you. And God has given you, maybe not what you think you wanted, but he's given us a picture. And finally, verse 3, it is a blessing to us. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. All right, we don't have a lot of books that say in them that if I read them aloud up here, I will be blessed. So that's, that's kind of why we chose it. You know, me and Steve are selfish. Um, but you will be blessed in your hearing. Just the fact that you're hearing this thing is a blessing to you. But what does it also say? It says that blessed are those who keep what is written in it. All right, so this is not just this vague cloud of esoteric knowledge about the future. This is a book that ought to be applied and lived out and that we do stuff with. So we do stuff with this book and are blessed in our doing. And why? Why is it such a blessing to us? For the time is near. For the time is near. Now, if this were just a book about how to be blessed in medieval France, it might not be a blessing to us. Is what we say. We'd say it doesn't necessarily apply. Or if it was a blessing for Futureville in 3535, and for the final saints who live there, it would not be a blessing to us because the time is not near. But he's saying, no, the, the time is, is near, it is now. That is why it is a blessing. That's why it can be applied. It's because it's relevant. All right, there are, that should shape how we receive this book. All right. Too many camps come from the perspective that this is everything here has already been fulfilled by the 5th century and therefore largely irrelevant. There's nothing left to do. All right. Others are seeing the scope of Western church history. They're seeing the, the papacy. They're seeing the Reformation. They're seeing the early church and they're saying, well, yeah, it's mostly already done. Or others are seeing it as way, way out in the future, and they're saying, this is for the very last generation of Christians. They might apply this and have something to do with this, but no one else. All right. The way we're going to read this is that the time is near because we are in the final age of redemptive history. And that that final age, it started 2,000 years ago, with Christ's resurrection. That that was the start of a new period. All right, can I prove that to you? Uh, all right, in season one, 
season one, the Old Testament, or he, he, we talked about how these things were disclosed to Nebuchadnezzar and he was going to make them known, things that were to pass in the latter days. That's when this was supposed to happen. And we have all these parallels. You see the, the parallel in the verse. This is going to happen. He's going to show it in the latter days. And now, in Revelation, he's saying, I'm going to make, make known all these things that are going to happen near. Here. At hand. And we realize that the latter days are now. Now is the latter days. Why? Because we are in the final stage of redemptive history. What is redemptive history? Redemptive history is this course of, of God working. So we have creation, we have fall, we have Israel's rise, we have the destruction of the temple, we have Christ coming, we have his death and resurrection. All right, there is only one more thing that's going to happen. Jesus coming back. And before that, right before, if there's nothing else happening, that's the latter days. That is the final days. That is the time of nearness. That kingdom that was going to come and destroy the statue, yeah, that's the kingdom that Christ came upon his, built upon his resurrection. It is here. So then, who is this book for? This book is for all of those people living in the latter days, all of those people who call themselves the church, who live after the resurrection of Jesus and are waiting for but one thing more to happen in redemptive history, the return of Jesus Christ. That is who this book is for. That is what the relevant crowd is. And that's how I want us to read this. As you think about that, um, is that how you think about the times? All right, some of us live like totally independent of redemptive history and we don't care. And we think, well, time's no, time's just gone on and on and, and there's nothing really exciting to come. And right, no, like this is an important era. This is a time of salvation. This is a time of the, the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a time of the church and, and gathering before the coming of Christ in victory. This is the last days. Now, others of you are a little too much in the last days. And you think it's the last days because things are just so miserable out there. And that, yeah, the, the world has gone to hell in a handbasket, so Jesus better come soon. All right. Now, you're right, it is the last days, but not in that sense. All right. Your experiential, existential feeling that things are terrible does not mean it's the last days. Right? We guide ourselves by scripture, which guides itself by redemptive history, not by our feelings about the age at hand. Okay? Things have been bad in these last days. There have been really, really dark times. All right? But we don't want to just bring our cultural bias and just say, well, like, I'm so miserable. Jesus better come back soon. Right? What is it? 
It is the last days. This is the time period that we are in, and we are awaiting the second coming of Christ. Do you want to be blessed in knowing how to live and how to look at this final time? Then pay attention, right? Try to work for this stuff. You're going to actually have to look, figure out what these symbols are, and, and we will be blessed as we do so. Amen? All right. All right. Now, where does John begin in this crazy book? He starts in the, what is kind of the most mundane way that every other book that is in the New Testament kind of starts. Uh, he starts with a letter. The whole thing is actually a letter. And he starts with a blessing and a welcome, a greeting. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you. And peace from him who is and him who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As weird as this book is, it starts like almost every epistle, every pastoral letter, grace and peace. A message of grace and peace to the followers of Jesus Christ. This is in one sense simply a more complicated letters to the churches. Now it has a symbolic bent because notice it is seven churches. Why seven churches? All right, we're going to learn about biblical numbers as we go through this. Seven, seven is a, is a magic number, right? Magic, spiritual, special number, and it means completeness. If you have seven of something, you have the, the complete thing, which you might as well have all of them. That's what it's saying. Once you have seven, you have, you have all. And to address this letter to seven churches is a symbolic way of saying all the churches, now, there are really seven churches. But those seven churches are supposed to encompass the whole church throughout the latter days. And so we will find ourselves being addressed in this letter because we are in those seven churches because those seven churches are not just themselves. They are representative of the whole. And what does... What does John seek for them? Grace and peace. Grace. Unmerited gifts out of the riches of God's kindness. We talked in Ephesians about how he is lavish in his grace towards us. And that same grace is being poured out upon all of the churches. Grace that they might stand we saw that last week. We might stand in spiritual battle. Grace that we might endure and persevere. Grace that we might be forgiven our sins. Grace that we might be given the Holy Spirit and filled with him. That we might have the tools, the power we need to endure till the end, to live in these last days.
to be fruitful, to spread the gospel, grace and peace. Right. This is a book where it seems there is very little peace. We are at constant battle. We see horrific pictures of evil and its power and its, its wickedness. It's, it's temp temptations and its persecutions. And yet, what is he saying? He's saying peace. Because there's a peace that triumphs over all of those things. The peace in knowing that we are in the hands of a God who has saved us and redeemed us and walks with us and dwells in us. As we walk through this last period of redemptive history. And who, who does this grace and peace come from but the Father who is and was and is to come. He has always been, he is now, and he will always be. What is this building off of? This is building off of the burning bush, I am that I am. This is God saying that, that he is and he was and he always will be. He is in control. And as we talk about the future, we know that this is a God who has governed the future and who has willed every step along the way. And he has power to gift us everything that we need to endure. And if he is actually ordaining all of history and he has us in his hands because he has chosen us, then we have a reason to live in peace. We know where we are going. We know the plan. He has disclosed it to us in this book. And we have great peace with where he's leading us. We see the seven spirits before the Father's throne. All right. So what is this? What is, what is the seven spirits? All right, this is actually the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit described as seven spirits. Because he is complete. He is complete and he is whole and he is filling the churches to the utmost. And he's working in them and he is dwelling in them that they might receive the grace of God with them. The words that they need when they need to witness. The power that they need to stand in spiritual battle. The comforter and the helper. And the peace of knowing that, that God is always near. In them and with them. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I hope that you already know Jesus as the culmination of the grace and peace of God. That he has given us grace by his blood. The forgiveness of sins. And that is the only reason we have peace. We do not deserve to have peace with God the Father who was and is and is to come. Except that Jesus has ended the war. He has taken our judgment. He has taken our sins away. He has washed us clean. 
And he presents us as, what? Priests and kings in this new kingdom. That we stand before the throne and we get to glorify him. There's lavish grace and perfect peace in Jesus Christ. His victory is our victory. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. And we stand in these latter days in Christ, who's already won the final victory. Now, do you know the grace and peace of the Trinitarian God? Are you living in these last days with great peace? Or you are you frenetic and, and running around like a chicken with your head cut off or uh, filled with existential dread that terrible things are upon the horizon and the world is crashing down upon us? Right. God has not said that that's where things are headed. And we have a reason for greater peace than that. Or are you desperately trying to manage the future as if you are the only one who has any power in the situation when you have the grace of the God who is and was and is to come and the grace of the Holy Spirit to walk with you in these things and the grace of the Savior who died for your sins. Grace and peace. Out of that grace and peace, let us worship this king who is already victorious and as we saw in Ephesians, has already presented us as these new people, as a kingdom, as a temple. If you do not know the grace and peace of Christ, it is offered to you. Receive him, put your faith in him, run towards him. He longs to be that king for you. All right. And if you haven't, worship him. Or sorry, if you have, if you have, put your faith in him. Worship him. Let's worship and and delight in the fact that he's ruling and he's coming again. And that's where we're going next. He concludes by reminding us, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes on earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. All right, this sounds weird. What do we do with this? All right, he is coming on the clouds. This is Daniel. This is the, the vision of the Son of Man, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. This is Jesus as the ultimate king. Daniel didn't know his name, but we do. And we know the son of man, and why he is the son of man, that he became flesh. He took on a human nature for us and died in our place. And he is saying that he is going to fulfill the prophecy. That Jesus, the son of man, is going to come and establish a kingdom, that kingdom that will grow into a mountain and just encompass the whole earth and we, his kingdom people, we part of it. And we have our king and savior for all eternity. 
All right, but there's this, this other weird part of it. All right. Uh, and all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him. This sounds really bad. Yes? This is actually positive. And that's sort of like, yeah, if we just come to it, it's like, no, we have to look at the Old Testament. I'm sorry. The Old Testament has to, we have to read it. All right. Zechariah 14. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now, what is this saying? It's saying that this is a, a grace and a mercy that they might see the one who is pierced and weep. It is not a judgment. It's a gift. And before you and I, and everyone living in this latter days, until we have wept over the first coming of Jesus Christ and his death for our sins and his need to die and be pierced, we will not be ready to rejoice. And it is a great gift that God gives his people to weep at the first coming of Jesus. To know the reason for his death and to know that we are sinners in need of grace. Now notice there's a small detail. This is a promise to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And look, it has been broadened so that it is for all of us now. This is a, the beauty of Revelation is it's going to take these promises and they're just going to explode into bigger promises and greater blessings that he is doing amazing things and working in us things that we did not deserve, just like we saw in Ephesians. So remember that this, this son of man who will come triumphant, he came first in weakness he came first hungry and thirsty. He came naked and ashamed. He came bearing a cross. He did not come first on a throne. And the sooner we come to, to weep that we needed such a savior, what do we promise? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If we mourn our sins, we will find that grace and peace that is offered to us in Christ. If we know our weakness, we will find the strength of being filled. If we know that we have no power, he will show us his sovereign hand. He will show us the future that he has already secured for us in Christ. That we do not have to fear. And finally, one last reminder. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and was, who is to come, the Almighty. This is not some weak little God pretending to know the future. This is the Almighty, the all-powerful, the ever-in-control, the only one who can tell us the future because he's the only one who can write it and the only one who makes it come to pass, who was and is and is to come. These things because God says them, are as good as done. 
Let us live with great peace and under the grace of knowing this God. And let us delight that our Savior is coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have gifted us with the knowledge of the future, one that centers not upon ourselves or our history or the events that are happening around us, but upon redemptive history and the comforts of knowing the power of Christ and his triumph over evil and his his rule in a kingdom that has already been established. Lord, would you help us uh, to live under the grace and peace that comes from being united to Christ and therefore under the triune God. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for calling. And Father, would you continue to call your people? Would you bring them to yourself? Would you build your kingdom that more may rejoice at your coming? We pray in Christ's name.